Welcome, Black Hollywood Live fans. On today's Fit Club, we talk health accessibility, race disparities, and the third option with author and pastor, Miles McPherson. Stay tuned for more. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Welcome, Fit Clubbers. We are back with a special episode of Fit Club, and we are joined by a special guest, Pastor Miles McPherson. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. This is going to be an interesting conversation. We, we have so much to draw from. <laughs> Again, guys, my name is Shaka Smith, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host. You can find me on everything at TK Trinidad. Um, Mr. McPherson, where can they find you on social media? Uh, at Miles McPherson. At, keep it simple. Keep at Miles McPherson. At, Miles <laughs> at me. <laughs> that is the only option there. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, the first story, and you know, we kind of go through a couple different stories, and we're going to talk about your past, and the third option here is very exciting. Um, but the first story we're going to talk about are these two dietitians, Wendy Lopez and Jessica Jones, who are really focused on health accessibility. And they've got this great website called Food Heaven Made Easy. I suggest you guys go and check it out if you guys have a chance, and a great podcast as well. And they're really focusing on making it accessible to people of color. Um, a lot of times we we see these messages of health and wellness. Again, they're not really directed at us, but they're really saying, you know what, we're going to make recipes that are cultural, that mm-hmm. um, fulfill you te- um, culturally with texture and flavor, that are also healthy, and then you feel like you're not... You know, you don't have to give up yourself to be someone who's healthy and wealthy, um, healthy and wealthy, I guess, in terms of your health. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> and so, one of the um, one of the things they really focus on are three particular questions when they talk about eating meals. Um, one is, was what was your satisfying meal recently? Why was it satisfying? And what foods do you eat? Uh, that you feel you must, but not for joy. And those are the three questions you want to ask yourself when it comes to kind of building your food out outwards. Mm-hmm. And so I just think for you, you've been through so much, you've, through the NFL and then healing yourself through addiction and then, you know, now through being this pastor who's, you're everywhere, I see you Go, everywhere. go, go. <laughs> yes. Um, how have you managed your own health and with your crazy background, Chinese, Irish, um, <laughs> Jamaican, you've you got a very background. How have you culturally with your food been able to kind of manage it all you know my wife feeds me and (laughs) and my wife is uh, organic non-gmo and all that stuff and i just trust that she put what she puts in front of me is healthy and she's always saying don't eat that don't eat that let me look (laughs) at the package and so i have a pretty simple diet i only drink water and i have a couple couple cups of coffee decaf in the morning and i drink water the rest of the time and eat organic food for the most part. Yeah. Uh, when I'm not around her, I'll cheat. <laughs> but I get to cheat because I eat for the most part healthy. <laughs> yeah. But a year and a half ago, I gave up bread. I gave uh-huh. up uh, ice cream, sugar, uh, for the most part. Yeah. And it's made a big difference in my life. Yeah. And and has your diet changed since the NFL, I'm sure? Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, since the NFL, when I was in the NFL, I had no wife. <laughs> <laughs> that can change things a yeah, lot, yeah. right? A lot of things change. <laughs> And, and we didn't even understand health as as well as we do now, yeah. believe it or not. Um, so the, the older we're getting, the more we got to uh, watch our health because we are getting older. And my wife is 60. I'm going to be 59 in two <laughs> days. So um, we, we got to watch our health. So we're eating. I, I'm eating a lot more healthy now than a year ago. Yeah. Because, you know, a year and a half ago, I gave up. We used to eat ice cream twice a week, Friday and Saturday, uh, Sunday. Uh, <laughs> and cook and pizza every Friday night. We mm-hmm. had it religiously. I don't cut it. I don't cut it out all my life. I mean, so I don't eat it anymore. Wow! But but you actually, but you're pretty fit now, though. So you that's mean, why. Well, yeah, you're, you're not too much worse for wear. Well, you know, I I um I give myself uh, opportunity to cheat. However, you know, if I was to have a bowl of ice cream, yeah. which I probably couldn't finish, 
I would get headaches and sick. I don't. I, I don't think I could finish it because the sugar is now my body's rejects it. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of gone really clean on it. And do, do you have like a pre-preach meal? Um, every <laughs> preach preach meal. No, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> That's a good question. So Sunday I have I preach four times. So yeah. I preach eight, ten, twelve, and six. That's intense. Yeah. Damn. And so I I do have you know um, I eat before eggs. Eggs is my favorite. Yeah. Eggs and sausage. Uh, um, um, chicken chicken sausage, and uh, I eat that. And then I after each sermon I eat a, either a protein drink or a salad. And then I eat all throughout the day. See, these are the questions people wonder, but you never ask your pastor. You're like, yeah. how are you doing this? But do you have time? To, t- when are your sermons again? So 8 o'clock and then... So, oh, the meat. Oh. So, so I eat. So I get up at 5, 4.30, uh, right? Then I'll eat at 6.30. Okay. And then I'll go to church and then I'll preach at 8. Then I'll eat again at 9.30. And then I'll preach again. Then I'll eat again at 11.30. Then I'll preach again. Then I'll eat at 1.30. And then I'll kind of nibble and then preach again at 6 and then come home. And when I come home at night, that's the worst meal because I never know what to eat. <laughs> so I have a bowl of cereal. And a, and, and that's when I have a I cheat. Sometimes yeah. I have a bagel. Uh, sometimes. But I have a that's bowl a of cheat. cereal. <laughs> that's a cheat. That's a cheat. Um, uh, and I don't really have it all the time. But I'll have a bowl of cereal with a lot of raisins because I like sweet. And it does nothing for me. <laughs> I still go to bed hungry. That, that's the meal because by the time I get home, it's like eight thirty, nine o'clock. It's too late to really eat a meal, and yeah. I don't feel like eating a meal. Yeah, um, th- that's the thing I haven't figured out. I have to get a nutritionist for that, but yeah. I, but I don't eat junk. Yeah, you know, See, well, I don't eat junk then. Yeah. But the physical fitness is tied to the spiritual fitness. Fitness, it's absolutely, like, absolutely. When, when the body is clear, I feel like that's when you're able to kind of be clear mentally. Oh yeah, too. for sure. Right. Um, the next, uh, and speaking of that fitness, the next one is, the next story is about morning fitness routines, um, and that's good for your brain. So the studies have shown that uh, when you do engage in a lot of cardio, that the hippocampus actually gets a little bit larger, and that's uh, responsible for your verbal communication as well. And so the brain actually increases the neuroplasticity when you work out as well, and that is the ability for the brain to, the brain to essentially make new connections. Mm-hmm. And so some things that you want to do, a lot of times you can feel like, well, how can I start a routine? What can I do? The three things you want to focus on are cardio, strength, and zen. And these are things you can do at home. Um, Cardio, they found, they actually did a a specific study with dance cardio. And they found that dancing also has the same effect uh, on the hippocampus region of the brain. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's recommended is start your morning with a song that you want to dance to and kind of just start getting the limbs loose and dancing in the morning. Uh, And then when you go from that to strength training, (laughs) and strength training, again, they've actually shown that strength training can um, reduce symptoms of depression as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, doing 10 push-ups or 10 squats in the morning mm-hmm. after you kind of danced off to a little music. I guess. And then they also <laughs> the third component is your zen. Um, of course, people do, like, some yoga moves. Mm-hmm. And they did find that when you tied breathing to yoga that it reduces stress dramatically, even more so than just yoga alone. Yeah. Uh, so these are, and these are things you can do in, like, a 10-minute exercise. And so what do you have kind of, like, <laughs> you know, we talked about your food routine. Do you have fitness routines absolutely. or little things that you have to do to get it in real quick before you can? Absolutely. And, and, and I will tell you, uh, for all the people, if you really want to get in shape, yeah. all these five-minute, ten-minute things, you got to trash that. You better, <laughs> you better put some time in, okay? So, but, but yeah, I'll get up and I'll pray. I'm not yeah. a Zen guy, but I'm a Jesus guy. Yeah. So I'll, I'll sit there and pray and read the Bible, and I'll do that for an hour That's or two hours. That's your meditation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and listen to worship music or whatever, and then I'll go work out, do strength. Uh, but I'm in there at least a half an hour when it used to be two hours. But yeah. um, if you really want to get uh, uh, some some real results, you got to put some time in. A lot of people don't want to 
suffer, yeah. right? They always want to make it everything's <laughs> got to be easy and quick. Mm-hmm. Easy and quick doesn't work. Yeah. You, you know, you got to you got to put in some time. It, it'll work a little bit, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. And so if, if you're going to put in a little, you're going to get a little. But if you really want to get results, you got to you got to put in some time. Yeah, that's yeah. for everything. I actually just started um, waking up at five in the morning. Yeah. Good. Not for work, oh. which was weird. Um, I started waking up at five in the morning. I actually um, do praying and meditation. And I started, before I was waking up at like 7.30, I was doing it for 15 or 20 minutes, and then I'm like rushing to the gym. Now, um, I was listening to Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher, and he was, you know, talking about how he wakes up at 3. I'm like, I'm not doing 3, but I can <laughs> yeah, do 5. Yeah. And I actually found now I'm, like, on my fourth day, and today I didn't want to... Part of me didn't want to wake up, but my body woke up. Yeah. And so I do um, prayer, meditation, then I read, and then I, I've been wanting to do, like, I can I can do some Spanglish, but I actually wanted to learn how to do it. So mm-hmm. I add Spanish to that, and then I'm trying to kind of start a social media company. So I do all of that before six thirty. Awesome. Yeah. And then so I go back. Yeah, yeah. Then I go back to bed a little bit. And then when I get up, I'm like, I'm not rushing to like oh, yeah. finish this because I feel like guilty because like, oh, you didn't wake up enough to do this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, I actually find that it's it's it put me puts me in a better place mentally. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do the and same. I start off start off my start off my day. Necesitas practicar tu español en conversación. I got the Spanish one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and conversation. <laughs> yeah, I like doing the early morning too because you just get so much more done in your day, mm-hmm. and it allows your brain to kind of like mentally check out and check back in and have it still be early. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm-hmm. So that's that's one of my things I like to do is get like up you catch well. your your you're not playing catch up. Yeah. It's like if you get up like, oh I have to go at work, I have to do this and oh, you're rushing. Horrible. It's like your your brain is starting to catch up, trying to catch up and you're like I have to do all that now your all body's day. trying to catch yeah. Do, yeah, and then you eat the bagel into suffice and then <laughs> you're just always it's like a downhill mm-hmm. spiral. So And sleep is overrated. People think that sleep is you have beauty sleep, but who looks beautiful when they wake up? You look jacked <laughs> up. Sleep just Beyonce, right? Careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Beyonce. Yeah. Beyonce and Naomi. But yeah, we got to get into the third option. Uh, we were actually talking a little bit earlier about you know these different court cases going on and all this talk about race, race, race. How how is it you decide to write this book? So I was born in 1960 when I was eight years old. Martin Luther King died and, and was killed, I should say. And, and I remember feeling feeling it, this is unfair. And I remember thinking, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Uh, all my life, um, I was thinking about this and thinking about the racial division. I went to a, a Catholic school for eight years in a white neighborhood, got harassed because I wasn't white, lived in a black neighborhood, got harassed because I wasn't black enough. Mm-hmm. My two grandfathers are black from Jamaica. I have a white grandmother and a half Chinese uh, black grandmother. So our family was diverse. We got along. My football teams got along, but society did not mm-hmm. and just had thousands of arguments and discussions about racism uh, because of stuff that was happening to our family. And my brother was a Heisman runner-up uh, in 1987. He was a quarterback, but black quarterbacks were not accepted back then. So I had, I would argue with people for years. Uh, and he dealt with it since he was in Pot Warner through high school, through college. And so it was, it was a thing, mm-hmm. right? And then after he got out of college. Um, so I had the opportunity to write a book. Um, I wanted to write a book to give people tools in every race conversation, it's about us versus them. Those are your two options. You've got to pick whether you're black or white or whether you're for the police or against the police. Mm-hmm. Or, and the third option is that we honor what we have in common. All people are 99.5% genetically identical. Uh, we all want to have relationships. We all love our sleep. <laughs> we all love our food. <laughs> and and if, you, if you go to every, any culture, 
every culture is trying to do exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. just a little different. Yeah. Foods, you know, we always want food. We will get married. We raise our kids. We do all this. We're doing all the same things. We're all made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So we have all this stuff in common, yet we let one thing, and it's based on appearance because it's, it, it, it's not until you really get to know somebody that you really get to know them. Mm-hmm. And, and we let that one thing cause division in our life. And so this book was designed to teach us, to give us tools on how to honor or place priceless value on that which we have in common. Yeah. I really love that. That's amazing. And what I what I always like to say is the follow-up is what's the practical way to do that? Yeah. Because, of course, it'd be great mm-hmm. to be able to employ it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, sometimes if, even in interpersonal situations, if you have someone that you feel is drawn those lines, how do you pick that third option? Absolutely. And this book, every chapter is 18 chapters, and every book has uh, next steps at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So there's very practical things oh, to nice. do. Um, the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love mm-hmm. your neighbor as yourself. So I have to love you as my, I have to love my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. And the Good Samaritan story tells us that everybody's my neighbor. Yeah. But I, if I give you a name lower than neighbor, I don't have to love you. So if I call you a thug, if I call you a white this or privileged this or illegal, whatever name I want to give you that's not neighbor, yeah. I don't have to love you. Yeah. And, and not only do I not have to love you, and I can still be biblically correct in my mind because you're not my neighbor. Yeah. So I dehumanize you. And so not, not only can I, do I feel like I cannot love you, but I can allow you to be mistreated and it's okay because you're not on my level. You're not like me. You're, yeah. you're less than me. So the first thing we can do is put the label neighbor on everybody you meet, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from. And so whether you, you see them on TV, you got all these opinions about people. Stop. You don't know them. That's your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I was in a prison once. To get, I just finished speaking, and this white supremacist was walking around the track in the yard. Yeah. And God said, go up and talk to him. So I went up to this. There was a line on the ground painted where the, the visitors can not go past. So I went up to the line and called them over. And he's well, like right here. <laughs> and, and and I said, hey, man, Jesus is looking for you. And he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, I don't know. Jesus, Jesus is looking for you. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> and, uh, but we were looking at a genetic genetic mirror of each other. We were yeah. 99.5% genetically identical. He was my neighbor. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with him, but I don't agree with my wife on everything, right? Yeah. It, it, agreeing with somebody is not, doesn't determine whether you respect them or value who they are as a human. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody's made an image of God, and we all have the ability to have a relationship with God and with each other, and I need to, we all need to do that with the people. What do you think has been, uh, I think, the most challenging part in writing this book? Great question. It, it took me a year and a half, and I would say for two years, even before the year and a half started, <laughs> I was petrified that I would divide my church because my church is very diverse. Because you got to write uh, in general. I'm generalizing, even though this book talks about not stereotyping. But you know, people of color have an experience. Yeah. White people have an experience, yeah. and they see it from very different perspectives. So I had a right to to everybody, mm-hmm. and it, that was the tightrope walk. How do I write where no matter who picks up the book is going to go? Wow, this is for me, and I got stuff to learn, mm-hmm. and not feel um, attacked, attacked yeah. but encouraged to say, here's Something. To th- here's another way of looking at this. Here's another way of looking at this. You know, I had to write about the, you know all the hot topics on race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the hardest part. 
Uh, and, you know, I've been talking at churches that I know would not ever have talked about this and saying all this stuff. And they're like, okay, we got it. Yeah. You know, we're accepting it. I think that's the, uh, the thing about culture, even though we are racially divided more than I've ever seen. The mm-hmm. good part is that I think more and more, now think, I know more and more people are saying, I want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to white churches that are like tell us, yeah. mm-hmm. and that would have never happened three years ago, yeah. and and that is a that is a very encouraging sign because until the white culture accepts it and says you know we when I say it the the the, the need to talk about race and the need to have reconciliation mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, yeah. mm-hmm. and I see that happening. Now there has been um, recently, as far as like you take Kamala Harris for instance, you know a lot of folks are saying, well, she's not black because her folks are from the islands and stuff like that. Um, have you been getting that like kind of backlash where it's like, okay, well, you can't really speak to this because you know you don't really you're you don't have like a generation or a family member that's you know attached to part of this racism. You know, um, no one has said that to me. I, I, the places I've been, you know, like I was at. With Bishop Jakes, um, uh, when I shared this uh, concept with him, he says, I have to help you launch this book. And he had me at his church, and and he was saying how this book and the, the angle of how I come at it speaks to not only black and white, but it speaks to people in division around the world. Um, so I haven't had that um, uh, no, but I think what, what, when people say that, th- th- it shows their ignorance about the experience of people. I had a, I had an argument with a guy. I said, you're not really black. I said, brother, let me tell you something. I got to deal with that crap from you mm-hmm. being black, and I got to deal from white people. So don't tell me. You don't know my experience, right? right? And and so it's, it's really you are perceived, all of us are perceived as something by everybody. So... You know, some blacks will say, "Oh, you're not really black." Some whites will say, "Well, you're not really white." Yeah. So, so you know, and then some whites will say, "You're black, <laughs> right?" You're the N word. Yeah. Well, you're telling me I'm not black, but he's telling me I'm yeah. black. So I just got my my job is not to be confused. Right? Yeah. But I haven't. No one's said that to me. Um, but you know, that it is what it is. Yeah, it's just been a, a thing. Even with um, like Winston Duke in the movie Us, that people feel that he shouldn't have been uh, in the role because he's. He's Trinidadian. Like they need to hire more, you know, Africans, <laughs> African Americans, and that's like becoming a thing within, um, within the culture. And it's just like we, there's so much other things to deal with than, you know, somebody getting a role. Yeah. You know, we're talking about legacy and generations. So it's just yeah. again, if we focus on what we have in common, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and if we focus on what we have in common, and, uh, and just see you as my neighbor, I want to get to know you. Right, and I want to get to know you, mm-hmm. and I want to get to know about your background. Your background, I'm so we can get so caught up in the positive of who we are, yeah. than you know the other side, the, this this one thing that divides us that we perceive divides us. By the way, uh, one of the things I saw you'd spoken at the like, was the Republican National Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you speak to like political leaders or people in politics, I, and I think they generally tend to have a different idea than like faith you know you're talking to people in the political arena how do you approach that versus you know your your regular regular your regular um yeah you know i was i was just in dc uh six weeks ago and i got invited by a republican and democratic senator a bipartisan meeting to call senators and congress members of congress from both to talk about this yeah 
I'll just say what I gotta say. Yeah. You know, I. That's that's the only thing I know, right? Yeah. So, um, and and it's it's my role. My role, you know, I'm not. It's not a political thing. My role is to preach the gospel and share. How's the gospel relevant to this? That's my role. Yeah. Other people's role is politics. Other people's role is activism. I'm not an activist. Yeah. There's a, activists or um, it's my side against your side. Yeah. Passivist means, you know, let's all get along. But prophetic is that there's something higher. There's a, there's a there's a standard that's higher than all of us, and it's God's standard, not mine. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, how can, what can we all rise to? And so when I go into whatever arena, I have to always remind myself that's my role. I'm not here to, you know, talk about activism. I'm here to talk mm-hmm. about the gospel, right? How does the gospel relate to us getting along? Because uh, someone's got that's that's my role. Yeah. Other people have different roles. Yeah. Um, and then I would I would also ask. When it comes to the next step, what's the next step, and what do you see as far as race relations going forward in this country? Um, one, the answer is never going to be organizations or governments going to be regular people. It should be the church, uh, and I'm, you know, hopefully the church keeps stepping up because we're supposed to carry the mantle of loving each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be on individual people. You know, we um, we had this thing called the third option challenge where we would. We challenge people to make a video on their phone with someone who doesn't look like them and say why they love them, and then challenge three people uh, to go do the same thing so we can show the world. No, we there's people who get along, and then hashtag the third option challenge. Um, in this book, there are tools like labeling someone your neighbor. Yeah. If I label your neighbor, then I can treat you as a neighbor. If I label you something else, I can't treat you anything outside the label. Mm-hmm. So if you're dumb, I'm never going to think you're smart. Yeah. And if I think you're ugly, I'm never going to see anything cute, right? Mm-hmm. But if I think you're cute, I'm never going to see anything ugly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I got, So we, we do stuff like that and, and acknowledge your blind spots. We all have different blind spots. So I think in the book, there are very practical things for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that, that I learned writing this and and this this broke down a lot of barriers for people to have the conversation often there are people if you tell them that that they offended you racially racially they feel like you're calling them a racist yeah but you can be racially offensive and not be a racist Mm -hmm. you know we can say we say things that are ignorant out of fear out of nervousness and for so many years i was hitting my head up against the wall talking to people and i couldn't couldn't get them even to have the conversation and it was because they felt like if they agreed that they were offensive or that they were wrong in their perspective it made them a racist yeah. and that word has even changed that word is, yeah. what, what yeah, racist was 50 years ago is not like what you would call it now but I think we need a new word because it's so loaded right yeah. it is loaded so yeah. uh, so God showed me no you can be you know, you can be offensive to women and not not even know you what you're doing, right? Yeah. So it doesn't make you, you know, an evil person. So the, reading the book is going to help people. It's going to give them freedom to learn and to accept uh, that they've had, they, they grew up with a story, a social narrative about how they see the world. And that story is very limited. There's other stories that are just as legitimate as your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead of seeing yours as right and theirs as wrong or even having to, Decide which one's right or wrong. What, whatever the third option that we put them together and just learn from each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people just don't even do that. I think right now it's just like everybody is um, yelling at each other and there's not any listening happening. And I, you can let me know if this is a fact or not, because this is according to, I believe, it's Killer Mike in his Netflix special. <laughs> Killer <laughs> Mike. <laughs> what did you start with that? Yeah, I, know. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I, I didn't get to check it out, so you can let me know. But he said that the, the, racist, the most racist hour uh, in America is between um, 9 and 10 o'clock as far as churches. The most segregated, yes. the most segregated time. <laughs> of the week is church time. Really? Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Because most 97, 95% of churches are segregated, which means 95% of churches have 80% of one ethnicity in it. Wow. And so if you go to church, it's all black, it's all white, it's all Hispanic. And by the way, even in Hispanic culture, and again, this is according to the Hispanics who told me because I have not gone to all these cultures, you have the Cubans together, mm-hmm. the Puerto Ricans together, the, the, wow. the, the Honduras together, yeah. right? And so we go to church without people, and yet we talk about wanting to love people. There's some practical reasons for that, but the trick of the devil to me is to divide us. Yeah. And in our church, we have United Nations, and every Sunday I say, look, you know, I get up and say, hey, what's up, how y'all doing, good morning. Before I start, find somebody who doesn't look like you, and I do this. And tell and look at them and tell them you love them and usually and I, and then I say you, you probably just need to turn because we're all <laughs> yeah. it's all mixed it's not like you know there's a few black people over there and a few white people. it's like all these people dozens I could, we don't even count them of, of of ethnicities are in there find somebody who doesn't look like you t- ask them their name tell them you love them give them a hug we can practice here so mm-hmm. when you leave. Go do it at work. Go right. do it in the mall. Don't, you, know, you don't have to be scared of people, right? Um, and so uh, that's that's such a blessing for me to be able to do that. So how do we go about, or is that something that we should tackle as far as church-wise, um, if that is like a more of a segregation? Should, should like Is that something that we should tackle, or is it just like it'll... You know, God's there. He'll figure it out on its own. Or? Well, you know, people, we have to be intentional. Pastors need to build relationships with other pastors. They need to serve the community together. Uh, people need to stop. I, I shouldn't say stop flying to Africa to serve black people, um, but they should probably go down the street first, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because they'll go all the way over the, over the <laughs> pond, and, and let's go down the street and meet somebody down the street, yeah. right? Because you don't have to spend 5000 or whatever it is and, and, and take a missionary trip. With 100 people, your whole church can go. Or down a block. Yeah. So we need to we need to serve and and our our church we do about four million dollars of volunteer service every year for San Diego, because we're diverse. We have people from all um, neighborhoods. Yeah. We go to all those neighborhoods and we serve them. And so if you have a church that have people from one or two neighborhoods, well, go pick a neighborhood that, from which you're not mm-hmm. and find out what the needs are and ask them. We're doing a conference in May called the Do Something Church Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you can go to sdrock.com for information. But with teaching pastors, here's how you leverage your congregation to go serve the community. You can actually do a numeric assessment of the pain. How many strip clubs, how many foster care, how many bars, how many um, convalescent homes. You can count them. And then you can go to them and you can ask them how you can help. And so for churches, they they really need to look inward. Every individual starts with me. Am I... You've you've heard of the term redlining? No. Okay, so back in the 50s and earlier, they would take a... The banks would take a red marker Um. and and oh, yeah. Red lines. Yeah. So they were t- we're not going to, we're going to hire rates. It still happens to this day mm-hmm. a little bit. We're going to hire rates in this community. Well, churches somewhat do that. They say, well, we don't go here. 
Wow. We go over here because yeah. these are where our people are from. Yeah. And churches need to stop redlining. They need to go and minister wherever God tells them. Because I know, I know for a fact God's not saying, don't go to that neighborhood, go to that neighborhood because that's who looks like you. I know <laughs> yeah. that's not happening. Yeah. So, uh, but churches have to own, they have to own it, but they have to own it for the right reason. They have to own it because they believe in the gospel, belongs to everybody. They believe everybody's made in the image of God no matter what they look like and that they have a responsibility to take the gospel everywhere yeah. they, they have to do it for the right reason and not to say well you know i checked the box and i helped some you know hispanic people and by the way black churches they need to help they need to go make relations with the hispanic churches mm-hmm. with the vietnamese churches it's not just white to black it's, it, we all have to do it mm-hmm. and and what, that's one of the things i noticed was that you guys have done so much community service work in san diego and even just the first nine years, I want to say you grew by like twelve thousand, just like exploded your your yeah, congregation. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was? How did you mobilize that? How did, how did you mobilize those people? Um, we were nineteen years old, so from day one, we were serving the community. And uh, I would do something. Church conferences is based on I do something. Church philosophy, which is count, walk, ask, love. You count by taking a numerical assessment of the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, how many? drug addicts, how many arrests, how many divorce, how many murders, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you walk to them. You just go. And then you ask, how can I help you? And then you <laughs> love them, right? So we would challenge people in the church. Um, who do you want to help? So if you want to help homeless people, okay, we're going to help you start a ministry to homeless people. Wow. So we have 140 volunteer-led ministries that are just taking people out, and they go every day. There's some yeah. there's people on the street every day. Wow. So we just powered, we empowered the people to um, live out their own individual passion to help people. And a lot of times it's people who are going back helping people in what they struggle with. There was a lady in our church, they make dolls, and they give the dolls to the police and firefighters, and they give them to kids when they take them out of the house, if there's a fire or divorce or whatever. It's because the lady who started it, she went through it. They took her out of a house, and the only thing she had was her doll. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I, I, I love how the, that the practical way to to get into those communities because I want to say the answer now for most people is oh I'll, I'll tweet it or I'll share that story yeah, or you know, I'll Facebook the thing and so pretty. you know we don't we don't put the emphasis on hey person to person person you know the social media is destroying intimacy yeah it is. more people are more lonely and and depressed now that they're on this phone because <laughs> they're not talking to people and they're all looking at you know how many likes you got. And they're looking at how pretty you are, but you know it's all you know. It's, yeah. It's yeah. All, superficial. Or they watch the phone rate. literally ring and then text you back. Yeah. Like, oh, like this, I just yeah, we can't even you. talk. Yeah, we can't even talk on the phone. Um, with everything that's going on, you know, obviously uh, the 2020 elections uh, going on. Actually, kind of rewind from that. We have a lot of programs, a lot of TV shows, and stuff that are talking. For instance, the 13th Amendment that happened on Netflix with Ava DuVernay, and it feels like we have certain shows that. Um, are speaking certain truths, but the people who need to hear it or at least watch it are not watching it. So how do we go about having those conversations um, and making, I guess, other people feel comfortable in having those conversations? How do we make the people who need to hear the message comfortable? You know, it's it's relationship. Um, a, a, a couple things. And, and when I wrote this, Obviously, I don't want to write it to the choir, yeah. right? That's like because writing a book is, is brain damage; it takes a long time. <laughs> um, and so, I had to write it so people who need to hear it would actually 
not just put it down. They would say, no, this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book is written for uh, that person that doesn't want to hear it. Um, it however, uh, it ministers to everybody. And so in general for your viewer, the main thing we have to do is make is have relationships with as many of those people as possible. Yeah. Um, and and that that's the key, because once you know when I, I talk to people, people always ask me about the NFL kneeling, and which really kind of doesn't happen anymore. But <laughs> they would say, you know, and, and I would get in these arguments. This is like now, right? Yeah. Like last year. What about this? What about this? And I said, let me ask you a question. If you saw me laying in the street, these are people that I know, mm-hmm. right? The people you're talking about. If you, if you saw me laying in the street, would you tell me to get up, or would you stop the car and get out and ask me why? I would hope you would ask me why. Mm-hmm. Now, if I told you I was laying there because I was getting a tan, you'd probably say, Miles, there's a better way to get a tan, not in the middle <laughs> of the street, right? But if I told you that I just broke my back, you would. And so people who don't understand what they don't understand, they need people to explain to them in a way they can understand it because if, as long as we want to argue, nothing happens. Yeah. And as frustrating as that be, can be to say the same thing over and over again, which I know a lot of people say, hey, we got to keep explaining. You know, shouting doesn't do it. So we have to help people. Now, there's some people, they don't ever want to hear it. But I've seen, and, and since this book has come out, I've seen people who, I've had people come up to me. I spoke uh, on this book um, to 3,000 pastors a year ago. And I've had these pastors come to me in tears saying, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, even like, I, and this one guy said to me, he's apologizing because he said, I used to say I don't see color. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Because I was talking about, you know, when you say that, you just invalidate everything that, <laughs> all the burden that comes yeah. with that color. Yeah. Like it didn't yeah. happen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, how did you know I have a color that you didn't, shouldn't see if yeah. you didn't see it, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, but, but it's like they really didn't. No, now did they want to know? No, but they had to have someone tell it to them in a way because once once it gets uncomfortable, the wall goes up and the conversation's over. Yeah, and I think I think people do want to know, but they want to do it in a way that's comfortable for them. And I think maybe getting a book yeah. is like very comfortable. Correct. And sometimes they don't even know either. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I did a group in college where it was called Sustained Dialogue, and it was like once a month we met for um, I think it was like dinner. We went for dinner, and it was just who wanted to come, who's invited to the the table. And we just talked about race relations, and people would just cry because they're like, "I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know." That. And so, but that was a safe space for them because they knew that it was a no judgment thing. Right. But right. most people don't have that outlet. But listen, the whole book is based on the fact that we're, we, what we have in common, and what we all have in common, is we all do want to get along. Yeah, we just want to do it. But getting along means that it's safe. Yeah, getting along doesn't mean you get to beat on me and I just get to you know cower down. No <laughs> yeah. one likes that. Yeah. People really do want to get along, and uh, and so we have to. My, my brother was a, a professional boxer. My other brother, okay. And my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my other right. brother was a Heisman runner. Up, so I, I got athletes and in my you, family. You were the first, what, first All American to be drafted in NFL, right? From my school, yeah, yeah, right, right. and first All American. Yeah. So you but, said that just yeah. Yeah, 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 I was just yeah, like, yeah, 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 just, yeah. <laughs> just a little something. something. Yeah. And, and here's the thing: I wasn't the big deal in my family. My bro- my youngest brother was a Heisman runner. up He was All American. He was all everything, and I was like this little peon. I played. Uh, in Division Three, he right. played in Division One, right. 
They were undefeated. He was he led the he led college in in passing. I mean, he was the man, right? Wait a minute. So you played in Division three, but then you went to the NFL. I got drafted. That's a yeah. big thing. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. D three is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like oh yeah, we like had, unheard of. Sometimes we had we had twenty five hundred people in our school. It was, it was, like, it was just a okay. little something. Just, just, just something. Just a little something. A little something. A little something. Um, and I forgot what I was gonna say. So, oh, but my brother, my brother was a boxer, and, and what happened was when you you can knock somebody out and hold them up because you don't know they're knocked out yeah. and they you have to give them room to fall yeah. and a lot of times when we're trying to talk about race we are just beating on people so much that they don't have room to to hear and to say I'm wrong and because we it's so it, it's so violent at yeah. them, right and so it, this does no good if people don't read it and get it and so it, it's written in a way where man I gotta here's a whole chapter on privilege mm-hmm. right I had to write about privilege, yeah. but I had to write it where people would read it and go, "Oh, oh, yeah." And if and if you read the chapter on privilege, it's going to minister to you too. Yeah. My, in my neighborhood, I had two parents. Mm-hmm. None of my friends had a dad, mm-hmm. so my dad was their dad. I was I I had advantage over them mm-hmm. because of that, right? So in, my, in that sense, I had advantage over them, but. It wasn't something I gave myself. Yeah. So the whole chapter is based on this this idea that whatever you have, did God give it to you or did you, or did you get it? Yeah. If God gave it to you, you're not entitled to it. So you can't think you're better than anybody. <laughs> right? And if God gave it to you, he gave it to you to leverage to bless somebody else. Yeah. Takes away the whole, you know, I'm better than you thing. But, but the point was you have to say it in a way where people can receive it. And I would encourage all of y'all to get this and give it to any person that, give it to everybody, but especially that guy, that girl that thinks they're all that um, and doesn't want to talk about it. They will, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. They Some guess like Amazon, but yeah. Amazon.com. That's right, and, Amazon. And I encourage people to start a book club. I'd say I, I want people to talk about this. I want just don't read it, but talk about it with people. You and, know? Then do it. Yeah. and then, and then do, do it. Yeah, and then and employ. <laughs> yeah. And then do it. Um, we have to, you know, one of the things I talk about is having a race consultation because because we do see color. Mm-hmm. Every conversation is a race conversation. Yeah. When I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. I'm talking to a black guy, yeah. right? I I'm having a race conversation because I'm either. Um, affirming what I think about you yeah. or I'm, it's being challenged. Yeah. But it's not going to say this about, about black people. Yeah. You're expanding my concept. Yeah. I'm expanding your concept, right? And so every conversation you're having, you're having a race consultation, though. Yeah. So I may assume I have things about you, but let me pay, take my assumptions and put them over here and I want you to consult me. I'm gonna, I want you to teach me. So when you say you're a lawyer, I'm like, oh, snap. Right? Yeah, you're definitely interviewing the both of us before you started. You're definitely interviewing the both of us before you started. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, he's a lawyer, right? It's like, like, it's, it's like the same thing. You said, you know, I went to Division three school. That's a new thing, right? And I have this Chinese, half Chinese grandmother. And so everybody you meet has all this stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm. So if you just went at that, instead of saying, oh, he's black, he's this, he's this, okay, let's put that over here. That's what I think. But now I want to learn. Yeah. Right. We will learn so much about people and so realize true. that people are not what we think. So true. Um, amazing words. Uh, anything bubbling in the, in the brain for the next book? Are you, are things nah, coming down man. the line? You, you know what I just did? I just I'm just finishing a um, curriculum for corporations, um, schools, and churches. It'll be a little different for churches, but 
you know, they have diversity training mm-hmm. yeah. environment. So I call it similarity training, and it's based on this book. Oh, like and that. it's six <laughs> one-hour modules. Okay, and nice. so I'm just finishing that. We just did the videos yesterday, and um, I'm going to a public school in Florida uh, in two weeks, and we're going to test it there. No, nice. I hope that's trademark similarity training. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. then what about, like, as far as the NFL, has there been, like, are you um, in talks with them? Is there, I guess, some, like, similarity training between the owners and the players and... Yeah, I'm sure they do that. I do have uh, friends in the front office that now that I have that, we're going to go back to the front office and see what we can do for the front office and the league in general. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Drew Brees with the forward. That's a, that's a good friend to have. So. <laughs> He's a good dude. He's a good dude. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing. Uh, just getting to sit down and talk with you. It was my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Uh, again, guys, you guys can find me. Uh, we actually, we got one more segment. I almost forgot. We, uh, we have our Fit Club. We have our Fit Club Five. This is just our sort of get to know you segment. Qu- rapid fire questions um, that we'll ask you, and then just give your give your answer. Okay. Um, so here we go. So last person you text. Uh, the last person I text was that girl right there, <laughs> Angie. Angie. <laughs> Hi, Angie. Um, dream dinner guest. Oh, my dream dinner guest. Alive or dead? Am I? Am I? Am I by myself or am I with my wife? <laughs> that's, that's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the conditions yeah. are yours. My, my, my dream dinner guest. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty big. Oh man, who would I? Who would I have? Ask me the next one. That's the, I, I, you're throwing me off. If you were to listen to one album for the rest of your life, what album would oh, be? Oh, Sade. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Sade. Favorite I'm, junk food? Uh, Lay's potato chips. That's good. And then Dream Dinner Guest. Dream Dinner Guest. Man, who would I want to spend time with? Um... I don't know. Probably Bishop Jason. I mean, even though we're friends. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, did you already have dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we've had dinner, so he doesn't count. Uh, who would I want to have dinner with? I Man, that is a good one. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anybody. Uh, Drew Brees, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. Your list of friends is extensive. We need to hang out with you. <laughs> If you want to choose someone you already had dinner with, you probably just said your wife. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah she's the one I would yeah, yeah. pick. You know, you know, you, you know who I would love to have dinner with? My grandparents. There you go. I had a dream about my grandpa. They're all dead, but I had a dream, and I, and I was like, man, I would love to talk to him now, mm-hmm. and just hear him say, because he always say, "You got the big mind." <laughs> you know, big, because you know he saw me grow yeah. up. And he's like, you, and "I was like 14. You're a big mind. Come here, man. Come here. You're, oh, you don't understand." <laughs> yeah, so all I, the I, stories too yeah, that they just didn't yeah, tell you, yeah. and like the only story my grandmother that like she told me is that my grandmother's 23. She was sitting on the porch. He saw her, went into the house, asked for a hand in marriage, and that's how they wow. were together. Like, that's the only... And it's like, I when I go back, I need to, like, ask more, and even my mom, because you have... If you, you just think to. of your life yeah. and everything you've experienced, and now, all of a sudden, you just come into your parents' lives. Yeah. like, they had a whole life before <laughs> you. And, so. my, and my grandfather... One of my grandfathers died when I was... I never met him. So, I don't even know him. I, and my grandson's four, so... 
when my grandfather died, I was like that young. I can't imagine me dying and my grandson growing up all his life and not knowing, knowing mm -hmm. me and me not knowing him. Right. Um, so I would like probably my grandfather's. I think you're the first to pick a relative. That's, uh, yeah. That's a good one. Well, again, thank you. I got to know you a little better on the Fit Club 5. <laughs> again, guys, my name is Shaka Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Shaka Strong. And you can find me on everything at TK Trinidad. And where can they find you? At Miles McPherson. Again, thank you for joining us. Amen. See you guys next God week. God bless you. Yeah. On behalf of our PHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood redefined. Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook. Tweet the views expressed Instagram here are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.